Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for June has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Jordan Cooper. He's a professional comedian. He's a web marketer and a self-proclaimed tech douchebag. I think we can say that on the show. We're going to find out. We're, we're going to have to say it a few times because you also have a podcast called Tech Douchebags. That's correct. It's a uh, 12-step program for technology snobs disguised as a comedic interview podcast where we, uh, I bring people on and we try to solve each other's problems that uh, essentially in the tech space, uh, we think that everyone is just like us when it turns out normal people aren't. And we have to come to terms with the fact that just because we use something a certain way, uh, not everyone does. So we kind of solve uh, tech douchebag-like problems. I was that, a guest uh, on your show. Yeah, episode three. And we agreed that I do have, uh, I need the 12 steps. I think I'm on like step three right now. No, but you were pretty good. You, I mean, essentially, uh, your conundrum was that uh, you feel obligated to provide the best possible uh, customer support for people that use your apps and scripts. So it's kind of a it's kind of a good problem to have. I mean, it kind of lifts kind you of. up. The the hang up was that it's the apps I I love providing support for the scripts. Is it is it time suck? But anyway, your podcast is coming to five by five. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. That's pretty cool. Um, so everyone, keep an eye out for tech douchebags. It'll still be called that on five by five. Yeah, and, uh, amazingly, it will still be called that. And if you want to go and uh, listen to the past uh, 12 episodes right now, uh, go to tdb.fm, and uh, that'll forward over to the 5 by 5 page at whatever point it, it technically it does the technical move over there. But, uh, yeah, and our 12 steps are actually listed on the website there. Very nice. All right, so how's the uh, – you told me that you're not currently working as a professional comedian, but you have you have quite the history, I think. Well, I mean, I've been doing stand-up comedy off and on uh, professionally for 17 years, 18 years, since I, since I was 17. And uh, being a professional comedian is kind of something that, in the same way that uh, you're a graphic designer, regardless if you have clients or not. So uh, I moved out here from uh, New York in 2007 uh, to Louisville to do comedy on the road full-time. And uh, so I did that from like 2007 to 2011. Uh, so if, if you're in the middle of the country, mid, uh, Midwest area, and you went to a Chuckle Hut, Funny Bone, Comedy Zone, one of those type of places, uh, you probably saw me as I was the guy before the guy that you came to see. <laughs> Always the bridesmaid? Right, Always exactly. the opening. I'm, I'm the guy that goes right I, – I put the, like, the palate cleanser, kind of like the, the guy where after the show, everyone goes up and, ha- and, sh- and shakes the hand of the headliner, and then I'm standing right there next to him, and then they look at me, and they're like, you're, you were good too. So you're like the ginger of, of comedy, like in sushi, like you eat the ginger in between – yeah, never mind. I think I'm more like the California roll. I'm like the the roll that because you, you you have to eat two rolls because one roll isn't enough. So you kind of get like the expensive roll, and then just like okay, you know, every everyone could eat a California roll. It, it's it, you really can't make that bad. Right. Okay. All right. This feels self deprecating on your part. Well, it is. I mean, I'm, so, I'm, I'm an unsuccessful comedian. So okay. So 
Okay, first question. What what defines success in in the comedy world? Is it just money? Well, it depends. If you talk to normal people, they, they you know, anytime like Last Comic Standing just came on, you always get that type of thing. Why don't you why don't you be on Last Comic Standing? Why why don't you be on Letterman? Like like it's it's my <laughs> fault. Like I chose like it's your not choice. to. Right. <laughs> okay. So the nor- so, so the normal people, success looks like uh, you know, a national television. When in fact most of the people that you see on national TV for that one appearance is is nothing. Like you you know, you were on the Tonight Show, it doesn't really mean anything. You get, you know, your standard aptra, you know, eight hundred and twelve dollars standard pay. But uh essentially, you know, a, a quote unquote successful comedian to me when I started when I was seventeen was able to pay uh, the rent without having to have any type of like nine to five job or temp job or anything like that. And that's why moving out to Louisville, since uh, rent here is so cheap in comparison to New York and it's closer to, uh, you know, within a five hour radius, there's a ton of uh, comedy clubs. I figure, you know, I, I could be successful, quote unquote, by, you know, working 40 weeks out of the year at colleges and clubs and just make just enough to uh, not have my water turned off. You also did uh, punk rock. DIY, yeah, that, that, you booked, you yeah, toured. I, I, yeah, but that that I uns, I was in an unsuccessful band. I, I have a very large history of unsuccessful successful endeavors. Unsu- okay. In, in the you, way, elaborate, please. No, in the way because when you think of music, you think of you know success is uh, MTV or something like that, or you know on the radio, or you know a best selling album, and uh, there's tons of indie bands that are out there that. Like I, I always found it odd when I booked bands that I looked up to, or I would go to the show, be on a guest list because I was important or some shit, and uh, and and the people in the band had other jobs. Like well, I bought their album, and they need to have a temp job on the three months out of the year that they're not touring, and I thought they were successful. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I did booking. For um, I helped do booking for the Inferno in Minneapolis, and and we'd have bands like I don't know you 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 familiar with Grimple? No, actually not. It's it's old school stuff. We'd get like the Casualties. Okay, Casualties. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're from New York, but I mean, you were yeah. you you sound like you you were into like the oi 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 type. Yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. Punk. I was I was more of the I was I was more of the punk rock uh, kid that you looked down on as being kind of like the mall hot topic type even though i kind of wasn't but you know i was the bad religion no effects type of mid-90s skateboard punk rock type of tastes yeah no well i think i think anyone in like in the uh aughts like 2000 and beyond that that got into punk rock probably started there i just never got out of there uh, well some of us just became homeless <laughs> and therefore crusty um there was a great line in uh there's a coup song and they they mention upper crusty punks which are crusty punks that really don't need to be crusty there are a lot of those that's i mean most I noticed, of them well i mean i know i noticed a lot of uh kids that would come to the temple the, the place that i booked in brooklyn that you know almost as if uh being un Kempt was kind of like a fashion statement. Yeah. And then they'd have like their parents pick them up in like an Alexis. <laughs> See, I didn't do that. We played a show at the temple that you booked. And yeah. I mentioned it on that episode with Merlin uh, that we played with MDC at the temple. And it was 
it was a really fun show. It wasn't packed. It wasn't huge. It wasn't like we were touring. We'd been on the road for like two months at that point. But uh, but that show, I remember very well, partly because it was MDC and they're like old school heroes of mine. And I don't know how successful they are on the ladder, but uh, we were happy just to make enough money to get the uh, the stolen U-Haul we were driving out of New York. All I know is that I, I always paid the bands well. Yeah, I think I think we did fine that night. I uh, I appreciated I, I appreciate the booking. It's just weird that I, I I run into you now, after all those years. Well, I've noticed that in the in the web space, like the design and and website building, whatever you know, script the tech geek type of space. So many people are from like the punk rock scene. Like there's so many. Uh, web designers that you know I'll come across on Twitter and see that they you know they listened to you know mid nineties punk rock and they have tattoos and stuff where it's like we all grew up we got kids or whatever not me but uh, and it's like everyone that's in the space if if you mention you know those types of things it's like no those are bands that we all listen to it's just kind of weird that out of any industry or maybe it's just selection bias on my part Nick, I, yeah, I'm not sure I, I've noticed this as well. And I'm, I, I haven't been in enough other industries to know if maybe everyone in the world actually listened to mid-90s punk, and I didn't realize it. Um, but, yeah, you, especially, like, classic punk fans, they're, they're, they're not as uh, prevalent, but in the web design community, you will find a lot of Buzzcocks, Damned, uh, uh, Sex Pistols kind of fans. I think maybe it has to do with kind of the DIY mentality. Maybe that when you grew up in that type of community that, you know, we're freelancers, essentially, or small agencies kind of doing it for ourselves. And that's kind of the punk rock type of mentality. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that being true. So do you think that uh, that comedians have a similar uh, common thread? Uh, in a way, I, I would say that uh, comedians are more uh, reliant on gatekeepers I would say there's there's less of a DIY mentality. I mean, comedians uh the 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 best the second best thing that comedians like to do after getting uh after being on stage would be bitch about not being on stage. So, uh it's it's kind of the sense of there's a comedy club circuit, there's a, like there's kind of an infrastructure in the comedy uh community as it is. It's getting less and less with with stuff like Kickstarter and you know the independent blogs, you know people like uh Chris Hardwick doing like the Nerdist podcast network. There's kind of a there's more of that, but most comedians, I would say 90% of them are uh, I'm going to keep on doing this and hopefully I'll get seen by someone important and then be given permission to have a career. So it's less than uh unlike the uh the punk rock type of mentality where, you know, I was 19 and I saw kids uh, that were younger than me putting on shows at a VFW hall, and just by basically you know renting the place for a hundred bucks, oh, getting yeah. someone that with a PA system, and then booking six bands. And I'm like, and I there's still do this. old guys sitting at the bar while you're playing, right? Yeah, I've done that. We actually had an old guy. Uh, he was like the mascot of the temple, uh, Elroy, uh, and he was a l- little old man. Little old man uh, always rode his bike. But he was the nastiest little old man. <laughs> like, like he would curse at the kids because he was kind of like the janitor, kind of upkeep, building sure. maintenance person. And he he had the the meanest dog. Like it was a little old. The dog was almost as big as he was, 
And he'd purposely like come out with the dog like at the end of the show because he wanted the kids to leave. <laughs> and the dog would just like snarl and bark at him. Wow. But everyone kind everyone kind of loved like like uh everyone kind of loved he was like the mascot type of thing even though you know, he kind of, uh, oh, he was, uh, he looked like Mr. Magoo in a way. And he always had, like, he was cursing out and, you know, like he, it, it was an annoyance for him to open up the place at like three o'clock on the weekend. So, you know, 300 teenagers could come in and play loud music. Well, if you took a job at uh, a church of some kind as like a custodian, and then all of a sudden they asked you to let a bunch of punk rockers in weekly, maybe more often. You'd probably be grumpy too. It was weird because the the rabbi it was a reform synagogue, and the rabbi was female because in Reform Judaism you could have female rabbis, and she was actually a punk rocker from the seventies. So nice. kind of it it was uh, in getting the venue because especially in Brooklyn where you know land is very expensive. Yeah. So so you can't you have to rent a place that's big enough and it not to be two thousand uh, dollars. It was very hard to convince people that. We want to run a punk rock concert out of here. You talk to you know a sixty-two-year-old on a any synagogue board or a, you know church board of directors, <laughs> they go, "No, we, we're not going to rent this to you." But it turns out that one, the temple was kind of uh, in financial uh, disarray in a way. They needed the money, and uh, you know the rabbi was like, you know, like just because it's punk rock doesn't mean that these aren't nice kids. That you know we, we're providing. A, a safe place because we had no alcohol. I mean, right. not because we were straight edge or anything. We just like no alcohol, no smoking inside. Outside, we didn't really care much. You could kind of, as long as it's in a bag or whatever and we can't smell it, we're not going to come around and confiscate stuff. And, uh, and we always did shows starting at 5.30 and they were done by 10 because that was like the noise ordinance. And uh, parents, I mean, we, we actually allowed, you know, like parents could come like for free. Like if you want to come and stay, or come in and come out, or check out the place, no problem whatsoever. You could come talk to me, you could ask questions all you want. I kind of wanted to make it so that the kids of South Brooklyn that may not really be allowed to go on the subway or you know, go to shows that, that are 18 plus or 21 plus, that you know, the least I could do is make it so that no one gets hurt. That's actually really cool. There's a, there's a place near where I live called The Warehouse. And growing up in uh, in Minnesota, it was it was the only all ages club that was truly enjoyable to go to. It may actually have been the only all ages club, but I saw I saw some really great bands there. We had local bands like the Crammies and uh, United Supervillains. But then, like I saw Everclear before they were douchebags. Um, like I saw their first show they used to play for no cover at the warehouse and uh and bands like Annihilate and like all these great bands I grew up with and I didn't realize until I was 21 that there was anything special or hard to run about an all ages club but without a liquor license they're they're now um they just got uh non uh what's the nonprofit status so they could take uh contributions to keep going but running an all-ages club can be really unprofitable no it's something that would definitely not be funded in uh in the startup community right there's, there's no bit that, i mean we tried doing that after uh the temple we, we we ran like 150 shows there and we got shut down by the fire department 
uh, for uh, for one show, Leftover Crack. You probably heard of <laughs> yeah. them. And uh, it wasn't their fault. I mean, it just had, just a lot of kids showed up, and the kind of the community board was against us because they were, I don't know, they didn't like having so many kids on the corner every other Saturday. Sure. And they couldn't stop because the cops would come. And the funniest thing is, is that the cops didn't care. Like the cops would come and literally say, we had to come because someone across the street in the apartment building. And then they show you all their punk rock tattoos and they're like, I used to be just like you. No, even funnier. One time, two cops walked in, looked very serious, came up to the, the, the desk where we take admission and said, who's in charge of this place? And I came and I saw them ask that of the, the door guy that, that I had. And, uh, and I came up and I said, yes, officer, how can I help you? And, and he goes, oh, don't worry. We're not, we're not here for, for any type of complaint. And he pulls out a cassette from his pocket, from like next to his gun, <laughs> and says, my friend has a band. <laughs> can you take a listen and see if you could book them here? Nice. This place? Uh-huh. So like the, like the cops, even the fire department, when they came for that, that leftover crack show, uh, they saw 700 kids there and you know, their attitude was, you know, that this is, this is against firing. And we didn't even know we, I mean, cause we rented out the place. Yeah. It's not like, you know, it's a, we can't change, we can't build new exits. Like it's not up to us, but even then they, they saw how many kids, I mean, there were teenagers and, uh, and said, you know, how, how much longer, when's the band that everyone's here to see going to go on? <laughs> nice. I say, say they're on next and they'll be playing for what 30 or 40 minutes. And the fire marshal, pretty much said as long as you don't let anyone else in said finish up the show we'll take care of all these tickets or whatever afterwards so it's kind of like like even the the authority figures of the community because you hear a lot of times in like the suburban areas i mean we played tons of shows that got shut down by the cops for nothing else other than it's a show like there's nothing we're not even doing anything wrong we're renting out the place there's actually adult supervision here from the you know the the community center or something like that, <laughs> but now the cops will come and say you know start uh, searching people or whatever and shut down a show and to, no it, problem and and we, we had it in Brooklyn I guess because it's an urban center and there's better fish to fry that the cops are like well you're not you're, you're not doing anything wrong and they look at the kids and the kids are like these are eighty pound fifteen year old kids yeah. that you know that go to high school or whatever and that, that they're not it's not the crust punks. Right. See, and that's the, that's the big difference is uh, those kids probably reacted with a certain amount of respect towards men in uniform. Whereas, like, there was a place called uh, the Bomb Shelter in Minneapolis, and that place ended up getting tear gassed with a hundred people inside it, <laughs> and it had one gassed. exit, one exit. It was, I mean, it was brutal because these basically barricades went up when the cops showed up. But why did they get called? Uh, probably noise violation. It was uh, you know, a populated yeah, but, area. But, but a noise violation, do you don't you don't think they're gonna come with tear gas? Well, they did because I'm sure they'd had run ins with the bomb shelter before. I mean basically what I'm saying is the kids kind of asked for it in the, in those circumstances. I don't think that the cops reaction was balanced or justified. But if you have a bunch of, you know, young kids that are like, Yeah, okay, cop, but they do what the cop asked them to do. There's, you're not going to have problems. The cops are cops are used to people being a little bit disrespectful. But when they actually, you know, when there's a threat of bodily harm to an officer, I, I understand a, a violent reaction to that. I don't like it, but I get it. But it like we are are the cops that showed up at uh, 
at the Inferno. Yeah, it was the same kind of thing, you know, like it was a bunch of kids. Maybe a couple people would get like underage drinking violations. We didn't, we didn't really, uh, we didn't sell any booze, but we didn't really, uh, police it at all either. Um, but they, they, overall, they were just like, you know, these are kids that are not on the street causing trouble right now. So I found that, uh, most of the shenanigans at, uh, DIY shows go on in the bathrooms. We didn't, we always had to police that. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the women's bathroom, the girls' bathroom. Oh my God. Uh, I, it, you would think that men, boys, you know, 14 year old, 15 year old boys, you know, you, that, you have, you have toilet paper flushed down. You know, we've had plenty of that. People being, you know, asses putting, you know, sure, full sure. rolls of toilet paper and then flushing yeah. or whatever. But, uh, the, the girls' bathroom. Oh my God. Like cleaning that, that, that was literally, we had to like draw straw, straws on order to determine who's going to clean the girls' bathroom. Cause we had to, I mean, our agreement with the temple was, we have to leave everything the way that it came. So it's like, you know, we had to take care of cleaning the place. Uh, I mean, there would, there would, in, in the social hall itself, they were like display cases. I mean, it was like used as, uh, you know, like a Hebrew school or something during the week. So we had to like cover up bookcases and put, you know, barricade stuff and tables against the walls to make sure no one's, you know, grabbing books and, you know, defacing them. And things of that nature, but for the most part, other than maybe like a broken mirror in the bathroom, and it just being really messy in the women's bathroom, uh, the kids were uh, unbelievably good when it came to you know that type of stuff. I'm mean, occasionally you find you know a bottle of vodka in the bathroom. I don't know how that would get in <laughs> or how you would leave it behind. No, because we we do bag <laughs> checks. I okay. mean, we did we did bag check. I mean, we did everything. Not because I I didn't care. My attitude was. And I've even told kids there, it's like, uh, I'm not pissed off that you have a bottle of beer in your bag. I'm more pissed off that you think I'm that stupid, that you're just going to put a bottle of beer and that's going to get by me. If you're smart about it, then I'm not, hey, it got by me. You know, people that, because uh, then, then it went from uh, the bottles of alcohol to the, uh, the McDonald's cups that weren't really Coke. It was, you know, rum and Coke mix or that type of thing. But then I'd smell it. And be like, no, you gotta, you got I didn't confiscate it. You go, just take it outside. I don't care. As, as long as you're on public property, I could care less. But, I, uh, you know, when people would t- type of bring things in, it was more of the fact of, if you could get it by me, then, oh well. Because at least, uh, you know, if the temple people found, you know, alcohol bottles somewhere, at least I could say, hey, what more can we do other than check everyone's bag? I went to, uh, uh, I, I think I've been to two stadium shows in my life, and one of them was uh, a Metallica show. And everyone told me because I hadn't been to a stadium show before, they're like, "You you won't get booze in." I'm like, "Yeah, watch this." And I taped a fifth of whiskey inside my thigh, right under my crotch, and put on my crusty punk pants, which you wouldn't want to touch. Right. And they found it. They they confiscated it. They had much the same attitude, like, man, you're stupid for trying, and then get in there. But, yeah, some people are really smart. I should take a sponsor break. Is it an alcohol sponsor? That would be really good tie-in. That would be. I uh, No, I'm afraid this doesn't tie-in at all. We'll have to shift gears a little bit. 
Okay, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code 5 by 5 Squarespace constantly update their plat- updates their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Everything is drag and drop, so it's easy to add content from your desktop and even rearrange elements of content within a page. Squarespace makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device because every Squarespace website has its own unique mobile design. You can easily connect Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Instagram, Google, and many more web and social services. And Squarespace also has e-commerce on their platform, so if you want to set up shop and sell things, you can in just a few minutes. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you need some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team. Located in New York City and Dublin, they're available 24-7 for live chat and email support. As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free with no credit card required, and if you decide to purchase, plans start at just $8 a month, including a domain name if you sign up for a year. Make sure to get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code 5 by 5 so, thanks to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk real quick about poker. You need advice? Nope, not at all. I, you I play poker? I have played poker. Um, I uh, Most of my poker skills, which are technically non-existent, but they came from uh, playing video poker in Vegas in order to eat dinner. <laughs> and you thought, uh, hey... I give you credit. Uh, one of the only positive expected value games in Las Vegas is a ten six video poker. I would. Uh, they had them at the bar. Like, uh, probably the bar ones are not ten six. They're probably eight five, and you probably got got lucky. I well, I got lucky most of the nights I was there because I would slip a twenty in, and I had pretty much had the same twenty the whole time, and I would play. Uh, I, if I was just out for drinks, I would play until I got the 20 back and get free drinks the whole time that I was pressing buttons. And if I made a little extra, I would I would buy some food, which you can't buy a lot of food in Vegas for, you know, 10, 15 bucks. But I, you could survive. I mean, you were doing it not for the, the making money aspect. You were doing it. Survival. To, right, exactly. So anyway, who 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 goes to Vegas? broke i mean that's just idiocy anyway but you ran a an underground poker ring poker room ring you make it sound so criminal uh, I, I make it sound so syndicated <laughs> it wasn't a ring it's just a, it's a office space i mean we had two different locations because the one got shut down by the cops and uh and if you watch the rounders i mean it's not that seedy it's not like uh you know kgb and someone's gonna break your legs type of thing but uh, pretty much in the the boom of poker in the mid '90s, with uh, you know Chris Moneymaker and the World Series of Poker, like uh, the underground scene in New York kind of just blew up, and uh, you know that's when I got more involved with playing poker because I mean I played poker for a long time and uh, I put some money into uh, Poker Stars and kind of learned the game in the way that someone uh, with a lot of time on their hands and uh, analytical skills. Where you know you play one dollar, two dollar limit poker on Poker Stars, and I would play like sixteen hours a day, and then read my hand histories. So I mean, in in the, in the same sense that uh, you could geek out in any vertical, 
I geeked out for like a good year on poker, and then I started getting involved with live games. At uh, you know, we'd start with home games, and then someone would say, "Hey, there's this club in the city that has like eight tables, and they play all poker 24 hours a day." And I'm like, "Cool, can you get me?" And you need to have like a voucher in order to get in. You can't just show up. They don't know who you are. They just act like, like, nope, sorry. I don't know why you're here. They, because, I mean, it's technically illegal. And uh, I would go there, and I see. And it's like a professionally run, casino-style poker room. I mean, there was no, like, blackjack. There was no casino games. But it was just poker. And there were a bunch of these clubs. And I got into a bunch of them. And then uh, to make some extra money, you know, I learned how to deal. And uh, not drugs, but poker. And, Understood. Uh, and then uh, there was a small room that opened up in Brooklyn, and uh, it was small and not very well attended. But they asked me, "It's like, hey, do you want to do you want to run the place?" Like I didn't own the place, but kind of like you know a lot about poker because I studied how to be a dealer and studied all the rules and knew as much as I possibly could. And you know, I organized the schedule and I ran it like a small business, just like a just like the temple with DIY punk shows. So uh, I was like there, you know, sixteen hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, running poker games, mostly for uh, students. Uh, there were a lot of Hasidic Jews, uh, the business people, stockbrokers, uh, you know, the Italian Goombas. I mean, it was a whole mix of people. I mean, it wasn't necessarily that shady. And, uh, you know, essentially you paid for time at the table. You know, I trained the dealers. And, I mean, it was it was a legitimate small business run with paperwork <laughs> with and everything. The, with me. Um the possibility of arrest and being shut down by the cops. Oh, yeah. Well, of course. But that didn't happen for like a year and a half. Right. I just, the term legitimate small business. Um, well, well, what I mean by legitimate, because <laughs> there are plenty of cards. Not hey, legal, I, just legitimate. Right. Legitimate in the way that, uh, in the same way, I, I feel like such a square that everything I'm saying about like running shows at, at, at the temple was like, as long as everyone's safe, that was my number one priority. Like, that's not very, a very punk rock attitude. No, see, I think you've gotten to an age, though, where that is a badge of honor instead of, like, like you, you ran something that was potentially very dangerous, and I've seen the dark side of, you know, punk rock shows gone wrong. Right. I've seen broken ribs and hospitalizations and cops with tear gas. And I think you did the, uh, something really responsible, and maybe at the time that might have seemed square, but looking back, you have to be kind of proud that you you pulled off something with 150 shows, and and didn't have tear gas and hospitalizations that I know of. For me, it's CC. For me, is more of a business decision. At the, at heart, you know, I'm a Jewish New Yorker. I look at it from a money perspective. Of if I could get the parents to know that this is a safe place, then the friends that that they talk to each other at like high schools. More kids will come to the shows. Well, plus you attract a better crowd, right? Of course, we didn't want we didn't want you people. I understand, Brett. If you if you were you were down there, if I saw you and your <laughs> crust punk friends or whatever, go on your way. You let yeah, us play, man. Well, if you were in a band, that was that was one little. Th- I mean, <laughs> typically the bands are the most responsible people. Yeah, typically I say typically, Brett. Typically, I did. Uh, sorry to get away from poker, but I got to say when I when I met the singer of MDC, whose name I've forgotten, oddly enough, Dick Dickler, something something like that. I forgot when I met something him. Dick, he yeah. he was the he was the nicest guy. Yeah, I didn't expect that. I mean, from the guy who sings John Wayne was a Nazi. He he was just very polite and well spoken. I liked it. 
he he was actually the reason I was I was uh kind of we'll say messed up at the time. And he was actually the first step towards me getting into rehab and and cleaning up my life. Talking to him for 7 minutes. Because you notice that just because, you know, you 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 don't have to live the punk rock style. I mean, you see that I mean, you take a look at most of the uh the younger deaths in the the punk and metal whatever it all comes down to people that didn't grow out of being a kid right well and and just the fact that he'd been a hero of mine since i was like 14 years old and he had cleaned up his life and he was still doing he was still making great music and still having fun touring but without you know killing himself and that that made an impression on me So, let's see. Anyway, back to poker. Are, are I, was, you- I was saying before that, that the same thing I, I applied to the poker room, that especially in the cases of dealing with lots of money and you know people possibly getting upset and the, the attitude of, we can't call the cops. Like, if something happens, like, we didn't allow alcohol in the room. We, we were one of the only places where you couldn't drink. We didn't serve alcohol. We didn't, you couldn't bring it in because if you got out of hand, if it's three in the morning and you're drunk, how the hell do we get you out? We can't call the cops and we don't want to make it physical because then that, and then people come back and they want to beat you up and do all that type of stuff. So no alcohol and people complained, but we're like, that's, that's the way it is. No alcohol here. And also that, you know, double door security cameras everywhere. And the least, the least that we can do is make sure that you're safe and you're getting a fair game. There are plenty of rooms that I played in personally, you know, playing as a player, where uh, there was one in, in, in southern Brooklyn in like the Brighton Beach section that, uh, you know, was run by Russians. Not saying that they were Russian mafia, you know, like, you know, mobster people, but, uh, you know, the rule in poker is English only at the table. Regardless is- of the fact if you're only talking about, you know, how's the weather, it gives it gives the the appearance to other people at the table that they're saying something that you don't know, and are they colluding with each other or whatever? It's just uncomfortable. So I would go there, and then you see that the dealers don't know how to deal well. The person running the room doesn't really know the fundamental, you know, kind of rules of poker. So I feel as if I'm not Russian. I'm here. I'm going to win money from a lot of these Russian people, and. I don't feel safe that if I win $2,200 that I'm going to be able to leave. Not yeah. necessarily that they're going to like hurt me or anything, but they're going to pressure me to stay. Or, you know, that something <laughs> is going to come up. The threat of violence. Right, right. Well, also, like, if something stupid happens, you know, the dealer turns over the wrong card or, you know, pushes the pot in a different way, that I'm automatically going to be targeted because, you know, what am I going to do? Like, because they don't know <laughs> how to run the room. So, like, when... You know, I ran my poker room. It's like I may be a, a kind of a Nazi in a way, a nice guy, but kind of like a rules Nazi. But the goal is, is that you come in just like in a casino, like a, a casino can't cheat because to lose their, their gambling license would mean they lose their business. So the casino wants to make it so it's as fair as possible because the math over time will make them all the money. Right. So my attitude is, is that I don't care who wins and loses. As long as people are playing, I make money. And as long as people know that it's going to be a fair game, that they may not like me personally. They may not like a ruling that I make on a, on a hand where there's some impropriety. But they know that 
hey, if there's anyone in the room that knows uh, the, the Robert's rules of poker, it's going to be me. <laughs> right. And knowing, knowing that the rules are consistently enforced. Right. Even when a ruling is not in your favor, if you, if you have faith that the rules are consistently enforced, you get over it. Right. Same thing with tournaments or anything. Like, you know, everything's going to be run by the book. Yeah. And although, yes, there was preferential treatment when it came to like table changes or reserving a seat, you know, that type of thing. Like, you can't get to the point of being stupid where it's like, nope, nope, you have to call five minutes in advance and then do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, you have to kind of take care of your action players because they're the ones that drive more players to come because they lose more money. So, I have no problem, you know, not having rules in that regard. But when it came to the actual game of poker, it's like, no, you, you, just because you play here that often, you're going to do this, this fake out type of betting move and that I know you're doing to like fool someone. It's like, I'm going to call you out on it. And if you, I, I've gotten threatened before, you know, you know I'm going to come and blah, 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 blah. And uh, the good thing about being uh, respected and straight laced is that uh, other people in the room will protect you. Yeah. I had yeah. one steroid rage like that. There was a, like a uh, a guy that came and played that was horrible. And anytime he would lose a very big hand, you, you could see like the roid rage going on. <laughs> We've had we had to ask him to leave several times before because he would. Other players were afraid to play against him because it's like he'd lose a hand and you were afraid he was going to punch you in the face. Now there's one time where I I was on the floor and I had to ask him to leave and I stood behind him. And uh, before I did, uh, one of the other like bigger guys, like I'm not saying that he was a hitman, but like a hitman type. <laughs> I'm not saying he was a hitman. Right. I don't know how he got his money, but I know he didn't have a job, <laughs> like a real job. But he said beforehand, he said, if you have any problems with Keith, uh, uh, don't worry about it. <laughs> so I felt comfortable going, you know, I'm 120 pounds, skinny, nothing. And I'm going behind, a, you know, a six foot four 280-pound linebacker type with roid rage, tapping him on the shoulder and going, hey, Keith, I think it's time for you to leave. And then he, like, flipped out and threw cards and got into my face and whatever, and then, like, a couple of people had to pull him off. But in the fact that if you're, if you're at least respected, you don't have to be liked. Most people didn't like me, but they still wanted to have a safe place to play cards and not have to deal with any of that BS. So they knew that if they came to my room, that, hey... We have, you know, waitresses, they, they make food or whatever, you know, you get all the amenities, all the sports games are on everywhere, and you don't have to worry about if someone loses a hand, they're going to pull out a gun. So the moral of this story, and all of these stories, is basically safety is a good business move. In anything, I would think so. It dep- I mean, it depends. I don't know. <laughs> is, there, is there any other industry where safety... I mean, take a look at cars. Look how many cars that GM is recalling. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if you look at, like, extreme sports, like, there has to be, like, a line, a bar where people trust that, that the you know, if they're, if they're motocross racing, that the track is going to be what they expect it to be. Even if they're risking their own lives, they trust that certain aspects of the game are going to be consistent and safe. And Have you ever played, have you ever played paintball before? I have. Okay, because that's another area where uh, I would play on an uh, outlaw field. And we, we were the types, even though we were playing on the outlaw field, where, I mean, obviously no one's running it, that everyone had to have their you know, FPS at 280 or less. 
Yeah. And, you know, the gas tanks on. And anytime I, my, my girlfriend always complains when I see the, the paintball scenes in movies and TV shows <laughs> and they don't have a mask on. And I'm like, dude, like we were serious paintball players. If anyone took off their mask inside the borderline, we would tackle them <laughs> because it's so dangerous because you would literally get an eye knocked out yeah. if you get hit in the face like that. And on TV, they show it as if, oh, it's fun, and I'll hit you here. It's like, no, do you, know, do you realize that the, the paintball is coming out at like five times the speed of a major league fastball? Yeah, and they hurt if you get hit in the bare back. Right. Well, I mean, like even to a shirt, like it can hurt a Well, lot. it depends on how many discs. It depends. That's why I said your FPS should be 280 or less. I don't know what it is now. I mean, but there are custom guns that, uh, that would, you know, you could rally it all the way up to like 420 or whatever unless you test it because most of the like the official kind of business places they would actually have like a shooting range where before you get on the field someone had to verify that you were at 280 or less because they know that if you know someone goes out and shoots someone at, at 15 feet range at 450 fps that that's going to cause you know a third degree you're going to see bone possibly mm-hmm. Yeah. And they know that no one's going to play there anymore. Right. And again, that's the safety as a business decision. Uh, same with climbing gyms. Like, every climbing gym I've been to makes you makes you prove that you can tie your knots and properly belay before they'll even let you on. The, even if you're not belaying, you have to prove that you can before you get to climb on the wall. And that's, you know, that's just safety for everyone's sake. And that keeps you uh, feeling good about coming back to a place. I don't even feel safe on those climbing walls where they like strap you into the bungee, like that kids go on. How do you like eight year olds? Why? Because I'm a scaredy cat. (laughs) You you play you play paintball on outlaw fields. I assume you've been in mosh pits at punk rock shows, but you're a scaredy cat of heights. Uh, You see, that's the weird thing for me is I am scared of heights, and I've never overcome it. But I like to boulder. I like to, like, a climbing wall doesn't go high enough. I've never been in a gym that went more than about a story and a half. It's outdoors on huge rock faces. I get about maybe 90 to 100 feet up, and I'll freeze. But that's why I boulder instead, because I enjoy the technical and strength aspects of bouldering without having to deal with looking down and and seeing your life flash between you and 100 feet of rock face. I get nervous just by watching someone else do it. Mm. I have friends that do like like bivouacs, like halfway up. They'll go out to Utah and they'll climb for a day, like straight up for a day, and then camp out hanging off the edge of the wall. And they'll send pictures back. And I find it entertaining that anyone would put themselves in that position. But, yeah. How do you go to the bathroom? Uh, it's nothing but air. What are you going to You just go. You go off the mountain? Who's, what happens if someone's standing down there? Well, you yell four, I guess. I don't know. I've <laughs> never done those overnights. I've never done. I've never made it up a, a cliff that I couldn't see the top of. Well, I guess, like, not see the top, but you can see the ledge. There are times, like, on those huge rock faces that you can't see where you're going. You can only see the first hundred feet, and you just start climbing, and assume that there is a top to it that yeah that would freak me out though starting that that first step 
The drive over would freak me out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to do a second sponsor, and then we're going to get to top three picks. Sure. So our second sponsor today is HostGator, offering Linux VPS hosting and the perfect bridge between shared hosting and dedicated servers. Their VPS plans are completely customizable to match your specific hosting needs and can be easily upgraded to dedicated servers as your site grows. HostGator has fully managed 24-7, 365 support, along with root access for complete control of your container and weekly off-site backups. They offer one-click installers for whichever compatible platform you choose, and uh, the servers are scalable, so adding more resources is easy. Visit HostGator.com and use the code DANSENTME for a whopping 50% off of all VPS hosting. All right, top three. I still don't have a sound effect or like a theme song for top three. And so many other shows have dropped their like top picks of the week thing, but I get so much good feedback on doing the top three that I feel like it should really have a theme song. Oh, that's the Super Mario thing. I, I would, it was stuck in my head. Yeah, I'll, I'll let it go. I'll allow it. Does it have to be a theme song? Why can't it just be the three picks? Raw, you're punk rock, Brett. Do we what? need theme songs? Do we need commercialization? Are you going to sell out now? Hey, theme songs don't mean selling out. Theme songs just mean good production, man. Good the bands production. that you listen to have horrible production value. That's why I never got into that oi, oi, oi crap. You listen to, <laughs> like, like one of my favorite albums, like, is Seven Seconds, The Crew. Yeah, yeah. It's so horribly produced. Yeah. It, they sound better live 20 years later doing those songs. Yeah, but imagine how they sounded in their first basement show. Like, nothing sounds good in a basement. Like, you get a recording studio after you've been playing basements for a couple of years. And you're like, oh, man, this is the best we've ever done. This sounds great. And, yeah, you listen to it, you know, in comparison to well-produced albums, and it's almost unlistenable. But to the bands, man, instead of, like, the muffled, like, woofer sound of every amp in the basement, just, oh, man, I hate that sound. I hate basement shows now. Anyway, top three picks. What's your first pick? Yeah, you go first. Okay, my first pick. I'm surprised it doesn't get talked about. Maybe because my use case is a little bit different. But as a as a comedian, uh, I like uh, being able to take like voice memos, but not like in a memo sense of just like I have something in my head. It's a joke, and it's very important that I know exactly how I said it. Because you could write it down, you could kind of put it into into a text editor, but you kind of don't. You like, oh, I know exactly how to say this. So I use an app called Say and Go. And I call it kind of the drafts of audio because uh, essentially, you know, you could just record in there and it sends to Evernote or Dropbox. And it also has a functionality where it's one touch where you could just click on the app and it automatically starts recording and you could set it so it automatically goes to Evernote. You could set a, a time limit, so like 10 seconds. So it'll just record for 10 seconds and send to Evernote. And you just have to just click on the app icon, and it does it all. And since I use Evernote uh, pretty much exclusively, it's a, it's a good opportunity where I'm in the car, I'm outside smoking or something like that. I have a great thought in my head, and I know that it's not going to come out well if I just you know, try to touch type it in. So I'll just blah, 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 right into uh, the, the iPhone, and it saves it in Evernote, and I could look at it later. I did something similar with Dropbox. You ever see that one? Yeah, yeah, but that's uh, very. That's a very simple 
I mean, that's a good app also. I used that before I found out about Say and Go, but that connects to Dropbox. And for me, Dropbox is kind of like, I don't, I don't want to have to go to the file. I like Evernote because I could uh, do the Say and Go and then go to the audio note and then transcribe the audio note and have both of them. So yeah. I could write a joke and have, oh, this is the way that I said it first and then write it out from there. I get it. I get it. It makes sense. I feel the opposite about the whole the whole process. I'd rather go to the file. But I understand, especially with Evernote's like audio transcription anyway. So you ever see Shoots and Leaves? No. What Shoots and Leaves? It's like it's the same kind of thing but for photos. Like you 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 open it up and you have like predefined actions like where you want the photo to go and you snap the picture and and boom, it's you know, it's uploaded to cloud app or it's sent to Evernote or it's dropped uh, a markdown link is dropped into drafts. Same kind of same kind of thing, but for pictures. Yeah, I don't take that many photos. Like almost all the photo apps that come out, like my my first problem isn't uh the the taking of the photo. It's like why would I even need to take a photo, let alone uh, I don't never get to the point where where am I gonna put it? I don't I have so little photos that I don't even care where it goes. Well, then it's not for you, is it? No, but I have a lot of audio notes. Fair enough. I, I have no audio notes because anytime I hold a microphone up to my face, like to record a thought, I just blank. It just goes away and I sit there and I stutter. Siri hates me. <laughs> Siri's like, I'm sorry, I didn't get that. And I was just like, uh, uh, uh Siri, never mind. I, I, I have, uh, I have Siri stage fright. Siri fright. All right, so my first pick. And arguably, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is the, it's my top of the top three picks. Uh, Launch Bar 6 is out, and I have been a longtime Launch Bar fan. Uh, Alfred never was able to pull me away. I've given Alfred a good workout, and I've written workflows for it, and I think it's an amazing app, but Launch Bar has held my loyalty for a long time and launch bar six adds a ton of cool new features as well as a better looking interface. And my favorite part is that you can now script it in just about any language, any scripting language, and it can return, uh, you, you can return elements to uh launch bar from a script that define the menu that drops down. So you could do, you can do things like instant search using like an Ajax search of any site and have the search results show up as the drop down menu and launch bar and stuff like that is, um, I guess you would say it, it tickles me. Do you think that the new spotlight in 10.10 is going to affect? I think I actually think that it's going to cause. Uh, Alharid and LaunchBar and all those type of uh, launcher apps to actually get better. Exactly. Exactly. It does. It's like nothing about the new one can replace LaunchBar or Alfred for a power user. But for the average user, the new spotlight is is kind of uh, outstanding. So in order to compete for the non-power user market, the, all the launchers are going to have to start offering functionality that can't be found in Spotlight for normal users, which I do think will improve the overall playing field. You want my second pick? I don't know. Do I? Do you? Yeah. It's better it's than a weather app, though. It's a weather app, though. <sighs> so many what? Just kidding. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> my, my favorite weather app uh, is the window. 
personally. I never got the the weather app. Wait, syndrome. does that does that run on iOS six? Uh, no, no, it doesn't. Doesn't it, actually, it doesn't even run on a device. <laughs> it's really it's really uh, low scale, kind of you know minimal. It's uh, you look at the window and you could tell whether or not it's raining. That's why I never got the apps that that kind of tell you that. Uh, but I do want to know: is it going to rain six hours from now? Because right. I do use Dark Sky yeah. for uh, the notifications, but I like Forecast.io that like, kind of like they they forecast it out for the day. But I like to know exactly, so I use an app called Weatherline, which ties into Forecast.io and. You don't have to click on multiple, tap on multiple screens or anything. It's just a line. And you could set it on hourly, and you see the temperature and the weather on a line, just like a line graph. And I could see, oh, I have a meeting that I have to go out for at 4 o'clock. It's going to be that temperature, and is it going to rain or not? And it's, it's not the type of thing. I never understood weather apps where, what is it outside now? Like, I have a door for that. Like, I could see, do I need a coat? I could just open up my door. So it seems like most of the weather apps kind of go towards what is it now and don't really focus on the display on what is it going to be four hours, six hours, you know, the rest of the week. You know, you could see it right in one screen. And that's why my second pick is Weatherline. Nice. Yeah, I, I really like knowing if it's going to rain in the next 30 minutes to 60 minutes. Right, that's dark sky. Right, and I use uh, I use forecast.io more than I use any of the actual weather apps. But uh, but yeah, when you drive a convertible and you don't like to leave the house unless you can put your top down, it's a good thing to know whether it's going to rain. That's how you decide whether or not you're going to leave your house? Pretty much, yeah. You're a punk rocker with a convertible? I didn't say I was still a punk rocker. <laughs> Those days are gone. I have a convertible, and I look outside, and I'm like, it's sunny. I'll go to the bank. It's the first time in four days, so I should leave the house. Maybe it's still punk rock that I sit around the house and work all day in, like, darkness. That's more gothic, I guess. Right. Punk rock, you'd be out. You'd be uh, coding uh, you know, on a MacBook. You wouldn't have a MacBook Air. No, or you'd I'd have, have like a MacBook a Air, but it was all patched out. Like you'd have the, it would all be all beat up or whatever. <laughs> Wrapped in like a denim case that's like right. a little bit greasy to the touch. Yeah, right. A few a few uh, silver studs around it, a bunch and of buttons like, on it. You'd have like a strap around your neck, uh, so it holds it in place while you skateboard. <laughs> yeah, no, no. No, I, I I coded a lot actually as a punk rocker. I was like the guy that built the first websites for the venues and everything. But I had a Dell. I didn't knock off. I built my own. I had PCs, though. It was all PCs. Punk rockers don't do Macs. That's crazy. All yeah, right. back then, yeah, back then, yeah, I didn't know anyone that had a Mac. I mean, we went on tour. We had a just all bunch of PC laptops playing Roller Coaster Tycoon. And let me tell you, driving 14 hours in a van... With every ninety seconds, hearing "wee" is really annoying. That's so not punk rock. You know Wait, what I? I you know what I, I had? Say I was punk rock for months of touring. You know what I had for entertainment? I had a Walkman, a cassette Walkman, and two mixtapes that I made. And then I I found along the way found Sisters of Mercy. And a Sinead O'Connor cassette, and that was what kept me company in the back of the U-Haul. 
in the back of the U-Haul. So you were you were in you were in the place where it's not safe. Yeah, I was in. Uh, they call it uh, gr- Grandma's. It's the nook of the the U-Haul that goes above the cab. You were sitting there. I slept there. I lived there. While it was running, while it was driving, yes. And we're, well, there were three of us that had to ride in the back with the drum risers and the full drum kit, and and a few amps. And you could you could take the panels that closed the back of the truck, and you could like lift them and fold them down. And that was how we got air. <laughs> my first my first view of the Brooklyn Bridge was from inside of the back of a U-Haul, looking out through a. Uh, a panel that had been pulled back. <sighs> Good times. So my second pick is slow shutter cam. It's an iPhone app. And I'm sure there are a ton of apps that do this. I, I'm, I know there are. Um, and I haven't tested them all, but I've been enjoying slow shutter cam. It's, it basically lets you do like bulb exposures with your phone and you can set it for like a 15 or 30 second exposure and it has some automated features and it's great for shooting like light trail photos with like, you know, if you want taillights of cars going through cities and possibly even star movements. Um, I should, I wish I'd had it when that last big meteor shower happened. Cause that was, that was impressive. But some of the, some of the, some of the shooting stars we saw would have been really cool in uh, slow shutter. But no, I didn't have it then, nor was I set up to capture anything at the time. Do you take a camera when you go bouldering or whatever? Belaying? What? I don't even know what that term means, belaying. Belaying is the person who stays on the ground and yells, belay on, so that when the climber falls, basically you're the person who catches the climber when they fall. You're at the other end of the climbing rope. So when you climb, one schmuck has to be on the bottom the whole time? Assuming, well, if you lead climb, there's no schmuck on the bottom. You're the person who sets the all the hooks, basically, for the rope. And then after the lead climber, yeah, one person stays at the bottom. I don't know how any of this stuff works. All I know is I'm going to be the first one that falls off the mountain. Yeah, but you, if, if unless you're the lead climber, you'll you'll have a rope, you'll be fine. Although it is, if you get high enough up and you're in between... Uh, like uh, hook points. I can't remember. I haven't done it for a while. But if you're in between, if you have enough rope between you and the last point, when you fall, you can drop, you know, like good, like 20 feet of swing across a rock face. It can be quite uh, thrilling. Thrilling. I'd have a heart attack. Yeah. I've had my, uh, my scares. I've never relieved myself on... Uh, rock face though. Anyway, number three. Are you on number three? You're on number three. Yeah, I'm on number three. My number three is actually a documentary which came out a long time ago. Well, twelve years ago. Uh, called Comedian, which is uh Jerry Seinfeld uh, filmed a documentary where this is right before he retired all of his material. So he did an HBO special called "I'm Telling You for the Very Last Time," <laughs> and this documentary. Has him going, you see him going in little clubs in New York City, uh, basically starting afresh with new jokes, new act, new everything. And to me, it's the best depiction, especially when it comes to such a legendary joke writer like Seinfeld, to show how much nuance and how much thought 
goes into every word of every performance that a comedian tries out stuff. I mean, they'd show him bombing. They'd show, show him going through notes before a show, looking at a set list of keywords, going, I'm going to do this joke and then that joke and then this joke, and then talking to other comedians behind the scenes. And I think it gives a very, very accurate uh, depiction. If you get a whole new respect for uh, anyone that does stand-up comedy, that it's not just getting on stage and going, you know, I'm going to be funny and whatever. That like every pause, every little twist and change, you know, it's all scrutinized and planned and refined and iterated on every single show. So I think that's uh, that would be good for anyone in any creative field to know that you know that process you know is universal. I remember when that came out. I've never seen it, but. I do remember uh, thinking that would be interesting. I think heckler management is my favorite part of comedy. Really? That's that. See, that's the least interesting part. I believe that. But for me, like a, a, a comedian that can truly jump on a heckler and really make the rest of the audience laugh at the heckler, I find those moments very enjoyable in a stand-up. Yeah, it's actually the least enjoyable for the comic. I believe that. I do. Well, it's it's not magical. See, that that's the thing is you think it's magical, and we've had to deal with that a million times. So, like our responses and our uh, demeanor when it comes because there, there's a there's a fine line between uh, what type of heckle it is. Yeah, like if they're being an asshole, that's one thing because you can't turn on someone too quickly, or then the audience are like, "Wow, you were too mean to that person." But, See, there's an art to it. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, but but it's not an art that we do. Like I don't look forward to it. It's it's more of a, like, a survival type of tactic. Kind of like you know you're on that that boulder and the hook snapped or something like that, and you're very good at at whatever belaying uh, your situation <laughs> at that point. It's like it's something you have to deal with often enough that yeah, it happens. But it's like I don't look to get into those situations. And the line that you probably heard from that comic probably. He's used that in some form a hundred times before. Mm. Well, the ones that I like the best are the ones where you can't, you you wouldn't be able to guess that if even if it were true. Like, like ones what? that I don't even understand. I don't even like understand what they, you mean. They really they take the context of whatever someone yelled from the audience inappropriately, or you know, at a really bad time. They take the context of what they yelled and turn it back around on a person. Yeah, and it, it is it, it's it's mean. It's often very mean, but, yeah, but not so mean. It's yeah, a formula. No, I though. believe you. I just like it when you can't tell, when you couldn't guess and be like, "Oh, yeah, I see how they use that formula there." It's I'm sure like it you're is. Doing the scripting. But, it's like you're doing like Apple script. It's the same. It's variable here. Your mother there. Your face. Your wife. Nah. That, see, know, it's, anything it's that involves thing. your mother doesn't work. It just doesn't count to me. Like it's got to be really witty. I'll. I'll send. Uh, Bill Burr does a really good job with it. Yeah, it's a formula. I, Bill Burr's one of my favorite comics. It's the same thing. Like I, when I see him do heckler stuff, it's like, no, okay. No, I'm, know, not, K, I'm not arguing. Thing. I'm not arguing. It, it, it's probably very likely a formula, but some comedians pull it off in a magical kind of way. It, it by by saying, see, see, this is what <laughs> by by saying that you enjoy. If you went up to a comic after a show and said, "I really enjoy." your heckling lines that's like going up to like you and saying it's like uh i really enjoy the documentation of your app 
The app itself, eh, I could take it or leave it, but you were really good at the documentation. I would take that. I'd be okay with it. But you understand but what I'm I, saying? I do, understand. Like you're, you're, I do you're, understand what you're like saying. It's not the it's, act. Yes. I get it. I get it. I get that my my uh, my tastes are, I guess, uh, uninformed in this area. But I know okay. what I like. So, right. But in that documentary, Seinfeld actually does get heckled. Oh, I believe that. I can't imagine him not being heckled at some point. But not like heckled in like, I'm going to play around with you, but like heckled to the point where the person didn't even know who he was probably and still heckled. And like, he was like saying, at what point in your career, like at what point, like, you know, I just had, you know, one of the most successful sitcoms ever, the top, at what point do do people stop talking? (laughs) No, people, hecklers are there for attention. Of course. They're not heckling because they have any honest issue with what the comedian is saying. They just want the spotlight. Yeah, but it's so hard. I like I don't even understand the logic. It's kind of like it's trying to sneak the alcohol into the the venue. It's like <laughs> you're in the dark, you have no microphone. You're not going to win. Yeah, like, no, I have all the power. I'm sorry. And that's why that's why audience are audiences are always biased against the heckler to begin with because it's inappropriate. It disturbs the show. And that's why we as the audience are so appreciative of someone who really handles it and shuts it down in a funny way. Anyway, enough about hecklers. Enough about hecklers. My last, my last pick. Can I heckle your third pick? Can yeah. Heckle yeah. Heckle okay, me. Okay. What I, is it? I don't have a formula though. Okay. Let's see. Let's see if you could go on the fly. It's 2048. It's uh, it's, it's kind of like threes. It, it, the gameplay is a little bit different and your goal is to combine numbers on a grid into uh 2048 and so you're you're going up in you know you you have to match like numbers so you know one with a one two with a two four with a four and uh and they they add up and you pair them until you get a 2048 tile i don't know what happens when you get there because i'm not that good at it yet but when i get bored with threes which happens on occasion 2048 is is the next game that's such a hacky pick um um your your mom's hacky okay that's good okay you're you're learning you're learning (laughs) okay well let's see um we have finished our sponsors we have finished our top picks that brings us to the end of the show i sound more excited than i am i hate the end of the show there's no end of the show theme not yet Uh, uh well see right now for listeners, there will be uh, the, the systematic theme song will be ramping up in the background. So let's tell them quickly before we get overpowered by music where they can find you. Uh, you are Blender HD on Twitter, and you are at blenderhead.me, and you can find the upcoming tech douchebags on 5x5. It's, it's not upcoming, it exists right now at tdb.fm. But it will be on 5 by 5 soon, and you can check that out anytime. And is there anywhere else you want to mention? No, but I have a YouTube channel. I have a bunch of stuff. Follow me on Twitter. Uh, I curse a lot, and I say offensive stuff. And uh, But I, I can, I'm more concerned, truthfully, about all of your safety. And that's, that's a beautiful sentiment. And I am Brett Terpstra. I am T.T. Scoff everywhere that you would care to look. And... I can be found at brettarpshire.com. 
Feel free to leave feedback for the show on the 5x5 contact form. And uh, anybody who feels like they have a great story to tell can leave me an audio introduction, record it, and drop it off at brettterpshire.com slash audio drop. And that's, uh, that's episode 101. Thanks, Jordan. No, thanks for having me on, Brett. Anytime. Well, not anytime, but anytime we can schedule you in. I want to get a picture of uh, your, your convertible, your punk rock convertible. I'll send you, I have a picture with my pit bull sitting in the front seat. I got a pit bull. Okay, so that is that. Okay, you're getting, you're getting a little <laughs> punk rock cred there. <laughs> anyway. All right. Well, everyone will see you in a week. Thanks for listening.